We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Main Lane from ArsenalVision.co.uk and welcome back to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. James, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the 2-0 defeat at Stamford Bridge. I've had a few days to um, calm down now. I'm now recording this early hours of Monday morning. You know, time to have a bit of a breather and to analyse the game properly and what happened and, you know, have a bit of calm time. And it's safe to say I haven't calmed down in the slightest. I'm still seething about what happened at Stamford Bridge and I don't understand it whatsoever. How Diego Costa is able to behave as he does and get away with it, scot-free, is beyond me. I don't understand. Can you imagine an Arsenal player behaving the way he was and not being sent off for it? No, because it wouldn't happen. You know that. I know that. Everybody knows that. And yet, there's no, there's no answers as to why. Why is he able to scratch people in the neck, push people over, slap people in the face and not get sent off? Why? Why is that the case? I don't understand. And it angers me. It angers me that we had a player sent off because Diego Costa, of all people, pushed the referee to do so. If it wasn't for Diego Costa pushing the referee, he wouldn't have been off the pitch. Now, how is Costa able to do what he did and then convince the referee to send off our player? Yes, shouldn't have got involved. You know, obviously, he was involved in it in the first place because, because the spat was with, with Costa... And it's easy for us to say, from over here, he's paid X amount of money to calm down and, and not get involved and walk away. Yes, of course. Professional, should act that way. Easy for us to say. I wish he did do that. I wish he walked away and I wish he fought clear-headedly. Does that even make sense? I don't know. I don't care. But he didn't. And he was sent off. And that is something that he can work on, the squad can work on. Don't get sucked in because it costs the team. But... That wouldn't have happened in the first place had the referee or the assistants flagged and said, look, this player over here, Costa, is acting like a thug. He's got to be off the pitch. Send him off. Arsenal should have gone in at half-time, nil-nil, with a man up. We should have been a man up. We should have approached the second half with an extra player. And you never know what could happen. They could have still won the game 1-0, 2-0. Who knows? We could have won the game 3-0. We don't know. At least we're in the game. At least we've got a good chance. In the second half, they scored a goal. We did, we didn't defend very well from it. We could have done better there, but it shouldn't have been. We shouldn't have been in that position. We shouldn't have been. It's obvious. It isn't like it's, it's a small mistake. This is a terrible mistake. And Mike Dean has made a number of bad errors against us, bad calls against us, con continuously, 
consistently for years and years and years. And yet we're still here scratching our heads saying, why? Why is this happening? And it's so frustrating because this is, this is really important. Games like this are so important for our points, for the, for the mental state of the players, mental state of Chelsea players. You know, this is a big game. But here we are. We've lost. Partly down to the referee and his assistants. And it shouldn't have been. It should have been the opposite. You know? We should have we should have had a man extra. Approached the second half with a man extra and gone for Chelsea and beaten them. So, yeah, I'm very frustrated. I don't know what to say now. So, um, I'm going to go and cry some more. So, anyway, we'll be back. Well, I'll be back after the uh, Tottenham game. And uh, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Podcast internet connection, almost as dodgy as referee's judgment. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. So here's the deal. Paul has no internet. I have no internet. James has internet, but limited computer skills, I think it's fair to say. Just kidding, James. Don't get defensive. Um, so I am calling into a go-to-meeting thing. We are not sponsored by go-to-meeting. We're just using it. Paul is calling in. James is recording it. No idea if this will work. I have dodgy cell reception where I am at best. So we're going to keep this one brief, but I think brief is even more than anyone will possibly want, uh, given that we will be discussing Arsenal's 2-0 defeat at Stamford Bridge. Really, really hard to analyze this game beyond the refereeing decisions. But first, let me introduce the two gentlemen uh, who are the podcast regulars here. There's Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posting in my pants. Hello, Paul. Hi, everybody. Great to talk to you, I guess, sort of, kind of. And um, you can also find uh, uh, James on Twitter. He is at GoonerFanatic49. Hey, James. Hey, guys. Okay, so our audio quality, which is usually crap, is going to be crappier. Uh, the good news is the running time, which is usually just about the length of a Stanley Kubrick film, uh, is going to be dramatically curtailed today. Let's just quickly get to the fact that... Um, I guess I guess we can do it this way. Let's break it down based on how we started. Uh, Paul, before the whole Gabrielle incident erupted, what did you make of how we had started the match? Um, I, I thought it was a cracking game. Uh, we started brightly. Um, we had we probably had the upper hand in the first fifteen minutes. Theo had a few good runs. Uh, three, maybe four, uh, two of which were offside, but that's that's all par for the course. That's kind of getting them at, getting them on edge. I, I thought we were playing pretty brightly. Uh, then Chelsea kind of began, maybe for the first time this season, getting their mojo going, as you can kind of expect they might against us at Stamford Bridge after all this time. I think Jose was licking his lips at this encounter to get his team fired up. Um, he had a pretty attacking team, to be fair, and they started to kick in. And they, you know, they started playing like Chelsea of last year. I thought they were pretty good. I mean, it's still a cracking game, but they definitely began to have the upper hand. And while it was maybe fairly even in many ways, they were having the more uh, dangerous moments around our penalty area. Uh, conversely, our defending, I thought, was very spot on very sharp, uh, very full team. So you, you can kind of read that. I kind of, I watched the second time, and again, kind of knowing what you were going to see for the first 40, whatever it was, 43 minutes before all hell in a hand basket. Um, it was a really cracking game about to be ruined by a referee. Um, I think... Yeah. We started to perk up a little bit towards the end of the second, or sorry, the end of the first half too. Um, I think it would have been a difficult game for us to win in the second half either way. Um, you know, we saw our vulnerability a little bit later on on a set piece. Now, the the two players who were off the field at that stage, Coquelin and Gabrielle, would have had an impact on that set piece um, in terms of defending it, but but. It seemed likely we were going to face some set pieces uh, in the second half as we came under pressure. So it would have been a tough game for us to win, but it was a cracking encounter. And, uh, you know, Theo only needs the one chance. 
so who knows what would have happened. We were well in it, I'd say that much. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, it ruined what would have been at least an interesting game to watch. Um, we'll, we'll get to it in real short order here, but James, let me at least give you a shot at that. I mean, how did you feel we were playing prior to the sending off? Yeah, I, I've got to agree with the large majority of what Paul had said. I think we'd started pretty well. I didn't, The first few minutes, we seemed to dominate possession, and there was almost, certainly from my point of view, uh, an assessment to be made as to whether it would be um, a strong returning Chelsea, um, which you could somewhat anticipate against us and at Stamford Bridge, or whether it would still be the rocky, shaky Chelsea. And I think we did well to to press them and test them early on, but they um, they held up extremely well. Um, they seemed confident in themselves, and they certainly got the the upper hand for the rest of the half. But I think it was very tight. We defended extremely well. I think Arsenal would have been very happy with that. Um, had that been how we'd gone into half time um, with all eleven players, that is, uh, I think that's pretty much what we would have wanted from that half, given the way Chelsea played and given the performance that they were able to uh, bring to the table. So, so yeah, I, I, I found it very promising. Um, we certainly didn't we certainly didn't look the more dangerous of the two sides, but I felt pretty confident that we could certainly come away with at least a draw um, at that moment in the game. That was my those were my emotions and those were my feelings at the time. Um, but <laughs> those were just very dramatically change um, just before halftime. Yeah. Um, I, I think the only thing I would add to that is just that there's this statement that the referee stole the game from us or even that Diego Costa stole the game from us. And the only, only area where I disagree is I don't think you can say as a matter of fact that if the sending off hadn't happened – there was any indication that we were going to go on and win that game definitely or even get a point from that game. I think Paul made the important point. It was going to be a tough game for us regardless. Um, they were sort of seeding possession, but they looked dangerous on the counter. Um, I, I want to just quickly touch on two things other than the, the ref. I'm trying to put off getting the refereeing discussion for just a little bit only because I think it is the crux of the game for the most part, but Francis Coughlin was spectacular before the sending off. Um, so I just want to quickly get both of your thoughts on two things here. Paul, what did you make of Coughlin's play um, prior to taking that knock? And then more importantly, don't, don't you think it's an incredible lapse of judgment to leave him on? I mean, I realize we don't have any other options, but it now looks like he's going to be out for about a month. How, what do you make of the fact that he was allowed to stay on and play through it until halftime? Um, well, I don't have a view on that. I don't have the medical background. Uh, I'm sorry to uh, cop out on this, but I don't have the medical background, and I don't know that he's going to be out for a month. You know, if the factor okay. as you present, it's it's criminal, but I don't know. So I, I think that's the problem for all of us in these situations. I don't know if we ever have a good handle on the facts. If they left him on when they shouldn't have, but if it was something, you know, he was there with this Colin Lewin and they were chatting and talking about it uh, as they kind of walked off and he came back on and he was running really good. So, and then the question is, did leaving him on damage it further and could they have known it could, you know, I don't know. It's a really tough one. These, yeah, these I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm no doctor either. I, the only thing I would say is when you watch the replays of it, you could see he had, you know, hyperextended at a minimum his knee. It, it looked bad, and I know looks can be deceiving. We've seen some bad ankle injuries that turned out to be minor. But um, so so if, if you don't want to answer that, and I can understand why you wouldn't, what did you make of his well, performance? Because I thought, again, it was spectacular. Uh, I thought he was superb. Um, to be honest... He wasn't as eye-catching as other games, which is a hell of a compliment to him. <laughs> I, I don't mean all other games, but there have been games where he's even a bit more eye-catching. But, I mean, it, it, wh I think what I really liked about him in this game was he was part of a unit. There had been times early on in his performances where he's the one that stood out. Uh, and in this, I thought he stood out as... As you know, Gabriel, Koscielny, Bellerin, Monreal were all really on it as a unit, 
I thought Santi integrated with well. I, I thought that back six uh, just looked really solid together with with definitely when you look for it, Coquelin having a stormer, but as a very integrated part of that unit, I thought it looked really really good. So I, I would disagree only in Chelsea, the... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say in uh, and as Chelsea kind of. Uh, kind of showed their teeth as that half went on. What I, I thought was the yin and the yang of it, the, the kind of the opposing piece was, I thought we did really well handling the pressure. I wouldn't have liked to have done that for 90 minutes, don't get me wrong, but I thought we did really well to stand up to it. And, and we gave back as good as we got pretty much in defense, uh, even if uh, it was at the expense of some of our inta attacking intent. Um, so, I, the only area I disagree with you about the, that back six, so to speak, being a, a good unit, I thought it was an uncharacteristically poor performance from Bellerin, specifically with respect to distribution and, and clearances. He had some loose yeah. passes and clearances where he, he brought us under pressure. I thought he looked a little bit nervous, but otherwise, I agree with you, Paul. I mean, uh, James, anything uh, Can I say one thing on that, Elias? Oh, yes. Go ahead. Uh, ahead, I think sure. that's right, and it, it kind of it kind of brought back echoes of the Callum Chamber uh, Chambers disaster. But what I would say mm -hmm. is, when I looked at that, he had so few options to clear it forward to. I'm not saying he made the best of them. Much ahead, uh, we were pushed pretty far back, and there was no really good hold-up merchant ahead of him. I, I think it was yeah. a tough road to hoe for him. But I know what you mean. It definitely I'm not getting stuck into him, by the way. I'm not, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, for a player who's been so consistent, I thought this was, at least in distribution and, and clearances, was one of his lesser efforts. But let's let's keep it moving real quick, James. I mean, anything to add on Coughlin, both his performance and staying on after what, to me at least, and again, we're we're just throwing out opinions here. I'm not saying we know what we're, what we're talking about. Usually we don't, but keeping him on after what looks like a potentially serious injury. Well, I have to look back and think about the emotions that I had at when that decision took place. I, as I'm sure Arsene Wenger was hoping that it wasn't a serious injury because he was excellent and he is pivotal in it, especially these types of games. I've been extremely impressed actually with his technical abilities throughout that match. I mean, there were a couple of really great touches mm -hmm. where I remember remember sort of um, emotively uh, commenting on just um, how good he looked on the ball, something that he, a criticism that is often levied at him. So yes, I think his performance was great. And I think it was also aided and abetted by um, the solidarity of the entire defensive unit as a whole. Uh, agreed Bellerin looked a little shaky, but nothing too, too desperate. He was obviously playing against Hazard and he looked a little nervous, but I felt he was getting uh, more and more into the game, and I don't think he had a bad overall performance, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, forget about what Colin Lewin knows and what Arsene's opinion on whether Coquelin should come off for, to prevent sort of further um, long-term damage. A lot of that comes down to what Coquelin tells Arsene and what Coquelin tells Colin. If he says, I'm going to be okay and I'm I'm going to perform well, which he came on and he looked good for that half, I, I you know, when you see... There was no physical contact, and it was clearly his knee that was troubling him. And when you see that, you immediately think from our perspective that that, that has to be something a little serious. I mean, he's not just going to pull up. You know, if it's an impact injury, you feel like that's something that can be ran off. But I was very happy to see him come on, and I monitored him, or I tried to monitor him pretty closely for the first five minutes or so. I was worried that he might come on and limp and just try and play through it, but he seemed okay. So I imagine Arsene and Colin and, and so on and so forth and took Gokalan's word in it and said, OK, he's, he, if he's telling me he's good to play, he's good to play. It's a decision he's got to make. Um, he's the one that ends up suffering the long-term consequences too. So, 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 yeah, I mean, I don't like Paul says, I'm just, I don't know what information was passed. If Francis had told them, you know, I think, you know, maybe it's, it's best to, to take me off and ask was that, you know what, I've, I, I can't afford to just now. Then, then yeah, maybe that, that would be an issue. I can't imagine that's how it went down. But I mean, obviously, I know, I know none of us. Sounds are... terrible. I, I know this sounds terrible, but I and I'm playing amateur psychologist here, and I admit that I don't know if any of this is the case. But 
Arsene Wenger really wanted to beat Chelsea. He really wants to beat Mourinho. He knows the importance of the game. I think the fact that Coughlin was left on there in a situation where it certainly seemed like he may be in trouble is in part a reflection of the feelings that there was not a real viable alternative. Um, I think it is in, if we had a guy behind Coughlin who the manager had the utmost faith in being able to perform in a big game in that position, I think it might have been a little different. Um, but let's move on to, to really the, the key point of the match. Um, and it's the Costa Gabriel, Mike Dean situation. And I'm going to let you just sort of talk through it in freestyle form here, Paul, but I want you to answer me this question, if you don't mind. Rank for me in order of how you want to assign blame in that situation. And by blame, I mean for the way the whole thing went down among Dean, Costa, and Gabrielle. Well, I think it was just a horrible, horrible refereeing decision. I think the... Is, the is it a bad refereeing decision? decision? No, is he more to blame than Costa, yeah. or is Costa more to blame than, than Dean? No, it's Dean. Costa does this okay. every week. He, yeah. You know, this is, this is who he is. This is what he does. This is not the first player he's got sent off or on the point of sending off or carded and then got sent off for something else. This is, you know, this this isn't what he does in the Premier League. This is what he did before he came to the Premier League. You know, I didn't really know particularly who this guy was. I'd seen him play a couple of times. I didn't t pay that. He's such an awkward, goofy-looking fuck. I never paid that much mm -hmm. attention to him when he was uh, in Spain. I didn't like the look of him as a player, so I didn't spend much time, you know, if I was watching 90 minutes of Atletico Madrid, I wasn't spending too much time worrying about Costa. He was just such a fucking goofy-looking, stuck-together, flat-footed, duck-billed fucking platypus of a player. Um, so this but is how do you who really he is. Feel? Yeah, <laughs> I fucking hope that guy roasts in hell. He's a disgusting human being. Anyway. Um, so he knew, the referees knew that. The default position for this, I, I mean, it's not just the referee. There's the guys on the fucking sidelines. They could see what was going on. Um, I, I'll jump out of the, that particular triangle and say this. Kishelny was brilliant. He got fucking beaten up, smacked around the place, took it like a man, took the chest bump, and uh, you know, made it clear he was knocked to the ground. He was impeccable. He was everything Gabriel should have been, but was too... I think Gabriel was too young, Portuguese-speaking, and Brazilian for it not to get under his skin. I mean, you would think all of that would play to his understanding of how to handle it because he knows who this fuck is, but it actually undermined him. I think it got way beyond him because Costa could go to deep, dark places in... Uh, Gabrielle's psyche that Gabrielle didn't even know he had. You know, well, I don't know what you're saying about it. I want to bounce this around a little bit. James, you know, I, I watched the way Chelsea handled the flick when Gabrielle flicked his foot out at Costa, and I watched the way we handled the hands to the face and the chest bump. Ozil and Alexis are just walking around the pitch, and, you know, there's a, you know, Cazorla's there because he's wearing the captain's armband, he's kind of getting in between them, and Cachelny's kind of looking at, I mean, I, I know it's it's cynical, and I know it's not what we want to see in the game, but don't we have to play by the rules the way they're set up? I mean, when, when Koss gets hands to the face and gets chest bumped, are you disappointed that we don't employ the dark arts a little, that he doesn't go to ground, roll around, that our players don't surround the referee, put pressure on the referee? I mean, how much responsibility do we have to put the referee to a decision there? And, and who do you think is more to blame there, Gabriel Costa or, or Dean? Well, definitely Dean. I mean, there's no doubt <laughs> that Dean is the person that is employed in order to sort these types of situations out. And he dealt with the situation absolutely atrociously. I've never been so incredulous, not that I can remember anyway. Um, but 
I do agree with what you're saying about how the players reacted throughout the process. I mean, Costa is a despicable fucking character. I mean, he, but that, this was no different. He doesn't treat Arsenal, you know, that differently to how he plays every other single fucking game. I mean, this is what he does. This is, this is something that should be quite easily and quite consistently reprimanded and dealt with. And I think so shouldn't, shouldn't the players be instructed when Costa starts putting hands to your face, go down, roll around, circle the referee, put pressure on Bean to be aware of what Costa's doing. I mean, isn't that? I know it's not the high road, but it's the fucking game, isn't that part of it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, yes. I, I'm, well, I don't advocate like rolling around and like really creating like a dramatic scene of it. But what I, what I want to see, like we would see with Martin Kuhn, and part of what I loved seeing in Gabriel, and that's why I don't actually put much blame on. Gabriel, or as much as others are, is I want to see you defending your team. I want to see you standing up to that. I don't, you know, I'm not saying go and punch someone in the face or or do something that's necessarily going to get you sent off, but square up to it. I want you surrounding that player and making it blatantly obvious to the referee that something is going on that is absolutely infuriating you and certain members of the team, and that something that should be dealt with is brought to the referee's attention. Now, I'm saying do that within the laws of the game, but why aren't you, as a group, standing up for one another, just like in the Invincibles? Why don't you have your Martin Keown's, your, your players that are just going to come up and defend defend every single one of that team. I, I don't care how good the spirit of the team is if you're just jovial and you're great friends. I want you to fight for each other. And I, that's not what I'm seeing from a lot of the team. And that's what frustrated me the most. I mean, if you, in each one of those, in every single slap, the, the double slap on Koscielny, the, the fucking the chest bump to Koscielny to the ground, he's bitching when he dove and he, he's asking the referee to, to book Coquelin when Coquelin hasn't even touched him. Why aren't you reacting in a manner that is blatantly obvious to everyone on the pitch, in especially the referee, there's something fucking dirty is going on. That's what I want to see. That's yeah, how I you- mean, look, look, to your, to your point, arguably the worst thing Costa did the whole game was the dive that got Coughlin that card. And was it, was it Coughlin? Yeah, it was Coughlin, right? He didn't get carded. But he he got card- yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and, and then he waved the card. There should be five Arsenal players standing over Costa in that situation or circling Dean saying he dived. I mean, I just... You know, you talk about there's great togetherness in the dressing room, and, oh, it's the best, most harmonious dressing room, and that's really important. But you don't see them fighting for one another out there. I mean, I get that Gabriel stood up for Koscielny, but it was a very lackadaisical, lackluster response to a, to a flashpoint. Yeah, and Can listen, they say something? Just very yeah, quickly. Go ahead, Paul. Jump in. All right. Jump in, Paul. So, yeah, I, I'm 100% on board with you guys, but I remember – Arson talked about something a couple of weeks ago where he was extremely complimentary about how the guys kept their heads and didn't get sucked into this shit, the implication being it impacts the way we play. He w- so don't get me wrong, but I want to see, uh, I, felt, I feel exactly the same way. I think it, it, in my view, I much prefer these guys to see them fighting for each other and get stuck into it. If we're going to get a red card, let it be for some fucker walking up to Costa and punching that cunt right in the face. Okay. But yeah. To, to add to I, that... I understand that there's a trade-off. It's going to, that's the kind of shit that helps Chelsea's game and probably doesn't help our way of playing. That's the only thing I'd say. I don't, well, listen, I, I understand what you're saying, but A... I think you can still address that situation and show fight and character and defend your teammates without doing anything that necessarily gets you a booking or gets you sent off. I mean, Fabregas, none of those players who are bitching to the referee and, and making it difficult for him were being booked or penalized. So there are things that you can do to improve your situation. And I don't think that necessarily has to then impact the way that you mentally approach the rest of the game. Because if you're suppressing your emotions of fight and anger in order to not express emotion to, to Costa and, and surround the referee, then perhaps you can add that to your game and then also suppress it as you play and, and maybe use that as part of your fight and your desire to win the game. I don't think, you know... But you describe a very calculated process where we kind of get in there and we put on a show. It was never going to be like that. Even as it was, it was boiling over. It was right on the cusp. You could see the players bumping up against each other. And that was us in this kind of watered-down version of of making a case. Had we done what we're all talking about doing, this game would have gone fucking apeshit, which, you know, I, I guess, right now but I mean, I'm you know, I mean, the funny thing is, you look at the Invincibles, and for all of their skill and flair, 
they had a lot of fight in them, and they were up for the fight. And, you know, I just, I'm not saying this team, look, it's easy to make sweeping conclusions from this, and ultimately I don't, I don't think it's fair to blame Arsenal for what was a miscarriage of justice. But I do think that you have players in this side, you know, whether it's Kazorla or Ozil, um, you, you know, or Alexis, or and maybe Alexis is a bad bad choice. I mean, he's he's obviously got some of that hot blood in him. But it, I, I was just disappointed with the fact that they didn't they weren't standing up and fighting for one another in that situation. That we didn't put the Me same too. kind of pressure on Dean that that they did. Now I want to finish the discussion. Of this look, it's very simple. Dean was terrible. He got the calls wrong. He blew it. It's his fault. But the way I come down on this is Dean was at fault for not sending Costa off. I do not believe he was at fault for sending Gabrielle off. And I am not alone in that because our manager said, quote, I understand referee Mike Dean's decision to send Gabriel off. He was guilty and should not have got involved, but why does Costa stay on the pitch after what he's done? So I just want to make sure we're all in agreement here. We all agree that Gabriel was wrong. We just believe that Costa should have been sent off first, correct? James, you first. Sure, but if... He should have been the first off, and then the referee should have made a decision on Gabriel, because what Gabriel did did not bring the game into disrepute. So if there's a marginal decision, it's Gabriel. Okay, and and James? Yeah, but the thing is, if you're not sending Costa off for each of those separate incidents or penalizing him, then why are you penalizing Gabriel for that? Are you telling me that... He hasn't seen each and everything. One of those things that they were cool and calculated. But, but like, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Two, two wrongs don't make a right, right? I mean, it, if you get a blatant but, penalty decision wrong at one end, you, you're not technically supposed to make up for it by getting another blatant penalty decision wrong at another. Except the thing, that, except the reason Gabriel was off was because Costa wasn't sent off the first time, or the second time he should have been, or the third time. So Gabriel should have ended up on that pitch. If, the, if Dean had done what he should have done with Kishelny, that was a red card. Um, and if, if it was only a yellow, then what he did with Gabriel shortly afterwards was a yellow. There's two, two yellows. He should have been gone before Gabriel was at absolute fucking boiling point. And Gabriel was at boiling point because Costa was on the pitch for five minutes being an utter, utter shit. And... In addition to that, I mean, Costa could have been sent off on four separate occasions, right? I mean, he should have had a yellow for, for flailing the, the fu- and, well, and diving. I mean, it's almost a double thing, but if you assume you've already given the foul, like the, the, the waving the yellow card, like that is, that's your bookable offense. Then the, the chest, but like a body chest, how, tell me how that isn't a red card. The, the slap on Costioni, surely one of those is, is, is almost red card worthy. I mean, the way he grabbed his neck, it's subtle, but again, I mean... <laughs> that's not within the laws of the game. And then later on, he, he went and slapped, was it Bellerin or someone down the right? I mean, he, there were so many times in that game that he could have and should have been sent off. It's not even just like a one-off. Oh, like, you know, in that one incident, he should have been sent off and that caused tempers to rise. This guy was being an utter fucking prick throughout the game. And it wasn't like he was looking at the ref and waiting when, when Mike Dean had turned his back and then like sort of... I mean, he was... His his actions should have warranted on any other games, like without a doubt, a red card at some point. And I think that's why the emotions got to Gabriel the way that they did. And I actually think he somewhat controlled it. Like in his head, he when he j- literally he lifts his leg up. I I appreciate that in the grand scheme of things. That yes, this is like a red card offense. But with everything that's gone on, he just wants Costa to let. He's like, okay, maybe I'm going to cool down. Like I'm I'm not going to keep shouting at you, but I'm going to let you know that I'm still like I, I've got my eye on you, right? I think. He, he thought he was being subtle, Gabriel. I think he had mentally brought himself back down, and I, I appreciate he should refrain himself. But this is the type, you know, this is part of what makes him the defender he is. But if you, as a referee, are unable to spot, and you're, there's no way Mike Dean hasn't seen that, the majority of those decisions, and he's got fucking assistant referees there to help him as well. There's, there's, there's no way that each and every single one of those incidents was just completely blinded by the ref. So they've, they've in some way inherently made a conscious decision to not send that player off for the action that he's committed. Thus, Given that fact, you can then not tell me that the decision that Gabriel makes to flick his leg up is therefore like a, a red card offense. So, I, you know, I'd be a, li- a little less fume. I'm, I'm fuming in the fact that Costa wasn't even on the pitch, but I'm more pissed off that given you've made those decisions to keep on the pitch, then keep it an 11 v 11 game. Because what you've demonstrated is that you yeah, are willing okay. to... That, that, those- that's a very fair point. 
All right, so I'm just going to stop because I want to move on. But, but look, that is an excellent point, which is at the point that you've decided not to issue a red card for any of the things Costa did because you're trying to show sense or restraint or whatever the hell it is, then in theory you should be showing sense and restraint with what Gabriel did because your whole modus operandi there has been to keep it 11 v 11. Yeah. Having said all of that, yeah. I mean, even the manager, so I think that is an excellent point, that as a referee, if you were going to let Costa get away with all of that because you have some kind of idea in your head that you're going to keep it 11 v 11, then you have to keep 11 v 11. Having said all that, and the manager said it too, Gabriel doesn't need to get involved there and, and doesn't need to do what he did. And it's disappointing because ultimately, um, you know, one of the things we've talked about with Gabriel in the past is just the big worry with him is that he's a hothead. And, you know, we were praising him for giving it as good as he got it against Arnautovic uh, just the week before. But he, he does have a red card in him. I mean, that, that's sort of part of who he is. So we'll see how that goes from here. Um, I want to ask two I, quick questions. I think questions this was a little special. Uh, I, yeah. Just quickly, I think... Had this been any other player of any other nation nationality, I'm not sure they could have got that far under Gabriel's skin. This was a this was a a, a Brazilian thing going on there. That's how he got that far under his skin. I think it. Yeah, I, mean, I do wonder it. if there was some some traitor to his country issue there too. You know, with him being a Brazilian who chose to play for for Spain and so on and so forth. But I think someone. So this, quick, I think this, someone gave mm -hmm. me. A, a snippet of the. I I don't know if someone can confirm this or as a listener you want to check this out. But I was told that in every match Gabriel has played against Costa, Gabriel has always been sent off. Um, I don't know how to. That's amazing. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay, look, uh, two two quick things to end on here, and I know we're going to keep this really short in part because of the ridiculous way that we're trying to record this, and in part because. It's not a match that deserves much analysis because once the sending off happened, it felt a little, it, it felt a little inevitable. But, but James, let me just start with you quickly. It's not inevitable. There's still a match to play. Um, let's talk about their first goal. The second goal is a little fluky. We're already down to nine men. The the free kick isn't even a free kick. Um, so, I mean that, you know that obviously. We're not, you know, we're not going to get into Dean anymore. We made the point he made a lot of wrong decisions. It shouldn't have been a free kick. That was almost as bad a decision as the one to to not send off Costa. But as far as defending the set piece and as far as the way we played down to ten men, forget nine men, but down to ten men, are you disappointed that we didn't do better both for the goal and when we were down to ten men? I mean. Not really, to be honest with you. I think the performance is very difficult to analyze from any from the second half onwards. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think, mean, I agree I with think that. we yeah. I think we managed it fairly well. I mean, it was a, okay, fine. We conceded a free kick that again should never have been a free kick. It's a situation we shouldn't be in, and I mean, we don't look like necessary. I mean, but how well can you? We're already playing against a team that has now got their tails up. That is a major threat as is. Mentally, it's going to be a blow. However, whatever team talk Wenger gives at half time, like that's going to be a mental blow. Coquelin's just come off. Paulis has just come off. I mean, yeah, naturally, your weakest point is now going to become defending set piece, especially when Giroud isn't on the field. Um, so, I mean, you're Koscielny, and then the aerial presence after that had diminished dramatically. So, yeah, I, I, you know, maybe there's some complaint as to should Monreal have been tracking it? That's what someone said at the time, but. Who should be marking Zuma? Like, how easy is that as a player now to know who should be marking whom? Um, like, it sends the team into a bit of a, di a bit of disarray. They're clearly a talented side from set pieces. Um, it's I find it amusing the narrative that seems to have been spelled out that oh, we're always so bad at defending set pieces and we can never attack set pieces. And it's it's like we had been mentioning on the last Premier League part of this idea of confirmation bias on seeing your own team, like. Frankly, I think for the large majority of last season, we were actually like number one with regards to certainly attacking set pieces, and I think even um, we're fairly highly ranked at defending set pieces too. So I feel that's a part of the game that we've we've worked on and improved a decent amount. Um, but I think it's that much harder when you're playing ten men, you're playing at Stamford Bridge, and you've two best like two of your best defensive players for that type of game have been removed. It's like well, you know, 
good luck. You know, you you can do as much as you want, and players, you know, you know, convince ourselves that yeah, maybe there's like a certain level of performance we can reach with ten men that can maybe match and match Chelsea and scrap out a nil nil. But fuck, I mean, it's just such a yeah. I mean, look, look. Ultimately, no Gabriel, no Coughlin, Giroud wasn't on at that time. The people that you expect to defend set piece as well weren't on. I mean. It, it's not our usual center-back pairing at that point, you, you know, that which affects organization. Ultimately, you don't want to give the team a pass, but you're at Stanford Bridge. It's a tough game, and you're down a man. You're down Francis Coughlin, who is such an important part of what we do. So I, yeah, I think it is really hard to analyze what happened after that and, and not to give us a little bit of a pass for that. But, and to be Paul, fair... Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. To be fair, because it kind of leads on. You know, I mean, with 10 men, we still created probably the best chance with Sanchez. I'm going to throw this over to Paul real quick, and then I'm only cutting you off because we, we sort of committed to each other not to run long given the, the nature of our uh, audio issues. But, Paul, the best chance was created was for Sanchez. It was a little bit of a lucky bounce. It got by the center back. Sanchez mishit it. How concerned are you with his form right now, and how specifically, how big was that opportunity? I mean, we get to 1-1 there. We probably have a really good chance of getting something from the match. Is that the defining moment of the second half for you? Uh, maybe. I mean, it was a big chance. It certainly would have obviously put us right back in it. I think we were still under. We would have been under tremendous pressure from there on in, so... You know, any player, it's one of those, any player can miss the chance. And he, either way, he was stretching out. I mean, even if you've got a good foot on it, you don't know it's going past the keeper. It can hit the keeper just as easily if the keeper stays big, which I'm sure he would have. So, yeah, it was a big moment, but who knows. But uh, in terms of his overall form, here's what I'd say is, I said, as you guys know this, I said this to you before the match where we were licking our lips at uh, attacking Ivanovic, I didn't think this was going to be a good matchup for us against Ivanovic because with uh, Alexis' tendency to cut inside, he's playing right into where Ivanovic likes to tackle and where Ivanovic has cover from a second man. So I didn't think Alexis was going to have a big game unless we really got the T.O. thing going and kind of Alexis could pull into the middle of the field, which he did a bit. Um, I would have liked to have seen a second half. I mean, we had some joy with it, and then it's like Chelsea got the grips with it for the the second quarter of the game uh, through to halftime, and then everything had changed. And really, you just need one opportunity between one of those guys while we have 11, 11 players on the field to really put you in the, the, uh, the cat's perch or whatever that saying is. So, uh, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a bit concerned overall with his form. Uh, I, I, I guess I never understood why he wouldn't be tired coming into this season. Uh, any any other player would have been. I mean, you kind of put a cape on this guy and think, well, he loves playing and he doesn't want to stop. But he's got to be tired at some point, and he was definitely tired at the end of last season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing tired at the moment. We're certainly not seeing any. The only thing against it was he looked really good against Stoke, hitting the post twice, and really lively. So I'd want to see another game or two. Am I concerned? Yes. Am I sure he's not uh, in form or able to hit form? No. Okay. Um, I mean, look, the, the, the big question now, look, it's another loss in a big game. It's disappointing. The circumstances are such that we can write it off. The fact that City lost means, amazingly, we're still only five points off the top, and I think at some point you say, look, this is not a good Premier League. Um, Liverpool are bad. United are bad. Chelsea didn't impress me. I still think they have problems. City can be beat. If anything, you just at some point have to hope that it clicks. Um, but it doesn't look like clicking, and now we have the added problem of no Coughlin for potentially a month, no Gabriel for three games, no Santi Cazorla for a game. Uh, now, thankfully, the next game, the one that Cazorla misses and one of the games that Gabriel misses is a Capital One Cup game. Unfortunately, that Capital One Cup game is a derby. It's away, and we almost have to take it seriously because 
you don't want to lose three games in a row. I mean, if we lose, it's a Derby loss to Spurs, it's a Derby loss to Chelsea, it's a loss in the Champions League, and then it really is crisis time. You're going to start reading Crisis Club um, articles here. So I'll, I'll throw it to you, James, and we'll end on this. What do we do now in the next game or two? Let's, let's just focus on the next game. It's Spurs away. How do you set up the midfield with no Coughlin? How do you set up the back four? Assume for a minute it's no murder sacker and, and there won't be Gabriel. What do you do with the midfield and the back four in the absence of Gabriel and Coughlin? Okay, so much to everyone's displeasure, I don't actually care all that much, even though it is a, a North London derby. I just, I've always cared so little about the Carling Cup, but. Um, the strength that I don't, we have. I'm not going to care about it, but I think you have to acknowledge no, that given that we have two losses yeah, momentum, in a row and that it's a derby, we have to take it more seriously. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think we always take it somewhat seriously, but it's we now are in a situation where this is why I still have a lot of confidence in the squad. I mean, it's a very, very deep squad now, so I think it's a great opportunity to get the players that we saw against Zagreb looked <laughs> didn't you know looked like they were playing their first game of the season to get a second game of the season. Um, I, I think we've got the squad to deal with the, the situations. I think Arteta is probably going to have to play defensive mid. Um, I'm not sure how excited Arsenal will be to play Arteta both Wednesday and then on the weekend. He um, can't. He can't do that, and I don't think he will. Well, he might, maybe we'll play Flamini and Ramsey then. I think, yeah, I, that, that's fine. I mean, for Carling Cup, I, that, that, that works for me. It's a decent sort of Carling Cup like third choice. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it, it's a good opportunity to get Ramsey playing back in the middle because, you know, he's not a player that's going to necessarily struggle too much for fitness. Um, and maybe it would be a good game to play him in that centre role, which the Coquelin injury opens up for him and the Santi sending off. So maybe we see Arteta and Rambo playing together in the middle. Um, yeah, and then defensively, I think that's quite easy. It's because you, you, he might have wanted to rest Koscielny, but you'll play probably Chambers and Koscielny together. Gibbs will play left back. Debussy will come in at right back. Espino will play goalie. Um, I imagine Ozil might get rested. I mean, maybe we will see Jeff out wide instead of Sanchez. Maybe once, you know, the big thing with Sanchez is I'm concerned in the sense that I don't want to see him in the form he's in. It's 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 been you know it has potentially cost us points um, thus far. Um, against Liverpool, maybe you know, if he's an informed player and he, he could be the difference. But you know, I'm not concerned that his form is going to change. Um, he just he needs a goal. He's always been very much able to like beat up on the on the sides below us. He even last season, I don't think he even scored against the top teams. So that was something we were looking for him to improve on. Um, I don't think it, it's necessarily a sign that like what he brings as a player is, it was nef- necessarily like reduce this season relative to last based on the Chelsea performance. But I think with, you know, maybe Arsene plays him against Tottenham in order to give him that boost. Maybe it's an, you know, it's an extra opportunity for him to score. Um, But, you know, but maybe we'll see Jeff and then maybe Giroud comes in for his confidence. Walcott will probably be rested. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain out on the right. So it's, you know, when you look at those players, those are all players, you're like, oh, we need to give them minutes. But they're, you know, it's still a good team. I think we still give ourselves a good opportunity of beating Tottenham, but it will be more of a kind of setup game for, for Leicester, rest the players that need the rest, and maybe adapt to Ramsey back into the role that he's going to adopt over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, what about you, Paul? I mean, I, I think personally that the manager is going to go with Cazorla and Ramsey at the base of midfield for the league fixture. He won't have that luxury with Cazorla out. Do you think he goes Arteta Ramsey for the cup and then... And and then goes with Cazorla Ramsey following that. What, what do you think he does without Gabriel or, or Cochran? I hope he goes uh, Arteta Ramsey. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody needs a rest. Maybe I mean, Cazorla in the next can't play the next league game. Right. The red card. Uh, no, he can play the he can play the next league game because the cup game is a league game technically, so that's where he serves his suspension. Wow. Okay. Um, that's a shame. Would have solved his problem. So um, <laughs> I don't know what he'll do. I, I think I'd like to see Arteta Ramsey if you're going to put in a two that works together well. Um. So. As regards to the Capital One Cup, I think he should just play it like he would normally play a Capital One Cup and not over or under react 
just do what you were going to do, and yeah, three-game crisis, but it blows off as as quick as the next game. So just make sure yeah. you've got your strongest. I prefer we had our strongest team for our league game and just take our lumps on the Capital One Cup. You can win it, you can lose it. Uh, either way, with a slightly stronger or slightly weaker team, so don't don't fucking sweat it. It is what it is, and everybody knows what it is. I don't think it really changes the psyche of the team if we lose, if we play a Capital One type team and we lose to Spurs. I think I think I'll get over it pretty quick. I know what you mean in terms of three games, but I think the the shadow of Chelsea is a lot longer than anything from a Capital One Cup. And I think it's yeah. more about how okay. we putting out our strongest team in their best shape for the, the league next week it would be the priority. Uh, I don't say weaken your Capital One team. I, I say play the team you would have played, whatever that is. Um, I think, and then it's going to be, yeah. I, I just think ultimately you're playing, you're playing your direct rival, you know, your, your North London rival. It's it's an elimination game, and granted, from a cup no one cares about. And while it may solve some problems actually being out of that cup, the best way to get over a loss is to win in whatever competition you have. And to win um, away against your rival in a cup competition where you knock them out can can be a little salve to put on over that Chelsea game and, and get that bad taste out of our mouth. I just think... Given that we've lost two in a row, um, you lose that third in a row, and and it it can get pretty sour in, in the dressing room, and I think in the stadium, and then we're what away to Leicester, which is certainly no gimme. So, no time like the present to stop the bleeding. I, I think I think we should leave it there. I have to apologize. We didn't incorporate any of the listener questions today because of the audio problems we're having because I don't have internet, um, because Paul doesn't have internet, um, you know. So bear with us. I know that this is not. Uh, anybody's favorite podcast. Uh, on behalf of James and Paul, thank you for joining us and putting up with us. We'll be back next time with better internet, better sound. As you can probably hear, I've finished the podcast uh, from my computer once my internet issues were resolved. Uh, let's hope that the return of internet capabilities is a harbinger of the return of footballing capabilities for Arsenal. We'll talk to you after the North London Derby. Cheers. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.